And so this is really all about how do we retain and find the best teachers possible? And then once we recruit those teachers, how do we get them to stay in Hamilton County and how do we help them become more effective at their jobs? And so we really suffer from losing uh, great teachers or, uh, you know, it's a, it's a talent suck whenever you can't pay people what they feel they need to be paid, which I, I, I fully get that, especially from coming from the business community. Um, talent is tough and it's, it's hard to find, and it's hard to keep. But right now in our school system, because we have one of the lowest performing school systems, talent is, it, it should be our, our top priority, right? And so finding teachers that are dedicated to get into the weeds of everything that's really hard in our schools right now, especially in, in the lower income communities in the inner city, it, it will require paying those teachers more and incentivizing them in a way for being there. But more than just um, a piece for, for raises and salaries, you know, money that we're requesting is going toward professional development. How do we help our teachers continue to grow to continue to get that ever-changing perspective on how education is changing and then developing them into great leaders that will one day run our schools. Tiffany Robinson is a school board representative for the 4th District of Hamilton County. Recently, the school board passed a budget, but also sent along a significant request to their counterparts in the county commission. In this conversation, we get into the details of that request, as well as a couple other new initiatives that will hopefully help push education forward in Hamilton County. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I am your host, Matt Busby. Well, Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, so Tiffany Robinson is our school board member for downtown. If you live in downtown, is, that's District 4, correct? District 4. District 4. So, And, uh, you know, I wanted to have Tiffany to come on because there's been so much talk about the budget over the last couple of weeks. And I know you guys just had a big school board meeting last night. But even outside the budget, you got a couple other things you're really excited about that I, uh, I really want our listeners to learn more about. You know, so before we get into talking about the budget, you know, you're, you just ran for school board. You've been there, what, four months now? Well, I was sworn in in September, so I guess okay. seven months, eight yeah. months. Yeah, it's been a short but very long experience. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess, uh, you know, why, why did you decide to run for school board? Yeah, I have, um, I really had a number of reasons why I decided to run, but I guess at the core of it, it really comes down to the fact that I'm a parent and I have very young children that I want to be a part of a thriving school system. I strongly believe in public education because I grew up in public education, but, um, you know, really the story that I tell the most when people ask why I ran is because really education is what sh- what shaped my life. My mom had me when she was 16 years old and wow. uh, didn't even graduate high school. And so I became the first person in my family to not only graduate high school, but to also go to college and graduate college. And honestly, like without the public school system that I attended, I would, I wouldn't, who knows where I'd be. And yeah. so I'm grateful for that. And I just think that Hamilton County could um, really think differently about how we provide education to not only the kids throughout the entire county, but especially in my district, which, ha- which has some of the poorest neighborhoods in the county. Yeah, give us an idea of what is, what is District 4. Is it all of downtown? Like, how does, what, how does that work? So um, downtown, or, uh, District 4 stretches from Alton Park all the way through East Lake, Highland Park, Orchard Knob area, East Chattanooga, up to Highway 58. So okay. assuming that your listeners are not all local, that yeah, they are from yeah. all, over place, all over the place, um, I represent 13 different schools and probably about... 8,000 students. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many, how many students are in the Hamilton County system? Do you know? 43,000. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It really is. It's, it, we have a very big system and most people don't realize that we have 76 schools and that our organization uh, employs almost 5,000 employees. So we're actually the largest employer in the county too. In all of Hamilton County. Mm-hmm, that's right. 
So last night, you know, you guys passed a budget that's now going to go before the Hamilton County uh, Commission. But, you know, before you guys actually had the opportunity the week before to pass a budget and you chose not to. Mm-hmm, that's right. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, talking to, to you, the reason you guys didn't pass it, you, you guys are trying something different, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the mantra right now on the school board. We're, we're trying to do things uh, very differently. So to give you some history, um, for a number of years, the school, the school board has taken an unbalanced budget to the commission. Yet uh, the commission is constantly asking for us to provide a balanced budget for them. Well, kind of the, the kind of the rub in that is that ultimately the school system is in a place where it absolutely needs more funding and the commission does decide if we get more funding or not. So a number of us on the school board felt like this go around, if we want to make a real impression on the commissioners to hopefully sway them to provide more money for our schools, because just to remind you, we haven't had a tax increase in 12 years, um, we decided to take a different approach, which was to hear the commissioners, meet them in the middle, provide a balanced budget, but to create a critical needs list of what the $25 million that we're asking for would really accomplish. So prior to the vote, almost two weeks ago, or no, I guess a week ago, before we tabled the budget, we actually spent a month putting together a priority list of what that $25 million would be directed toward. And we built a very comprehensive plan around what type of ROI that that influx of money would show. And it's really interesting because um, whenever I ran for the school board, I actually thought we don't really need more money, it's just mismanagement of funds. And then I got into the position and I actually became the chairwoman of the finance committee. And I realized that uh, we are quite poor and we are quite broke and um, realized that we were doing um, not nearly what we could be doing long term wise um, because we didn't have the money to invest in ourselves long term. So fast forward um, several months later and we really have turned around the entire budgeting process. Again, something that the public was asking for was for us to really think through our budgeting differently. Something that the commission was um, asking for was for us to come to the table with a balanced budget, but for us to show them what the needs are. So yesterday we decided to pass the balanced budget with a $25 million ask. So we are now asking our commissioners, our county commissioners, to basically make an investment into our school system of $25 million a year uh, for the next several years. Yeah, so you know, in this different approach, it's it's not that the school board. You guys have always been asking for more money. That's right. <laughs> um, but you, but the school board, as far as the county commission's perspective, was just seeing as being irresponsible because they couldn't right. pass a balanced budget. That's right. Yeah, and so you know, I think that at the end of the day, like you could very well argue, like, well, aren't you saying the exact same thing by passing a balanced budget with this long critical needs list? And I think that the answer is, yeah, absolutely. But uh, taking a different approach, I think, tends to. Uh, make more movement and so we're at a place where we we don't have any uh, lower to go like we've we've got to get more money we've got to make real improvement in our school system and so I'm in the in the camp of well let's try things differently and if it doesn't work this time then we're going to try something different next time and we're going to keep trying something different until it works so but but I'm, I'm feeling hopeful and confident that this is the way that's to go in order to get what we need. Yeah. Yeah. I think there were some uh, early interpretations of last week's meeting when you guys didn't pass the budget <laughs> that you guys didn't want more money. Yeah. And, <laughs> and instead, you guys are just trying a different approach. You're trying to include other people in the process. That's right who really do control the purse strings. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate you seeing it from that perspective. And, you, and you're right. Um, a number of people thought that because 
you know, me specifically that I voted the way that I did that admit that I don't want more money. I've been incredibly vocal about how much money we need. And, you know, I even wrote an op-ed piece in the paper about asking for more money or asking for a tax increase, um, which a lot of people feel is very bold. Um, We're at a time where we have to have more money. And um, all nine of us on the school board absolutely know that we need more money. Again, it came down to how do we want to go about making this request and showing the public and the commission that we're taking things a different route? Yeah, because I mean, so it's been 12 years since we've had a tax increase for yes. our schools. Yep. And I mean, if you think about 12 years ago, I mean, that would, that would be 2005. And uh, the way, I mean, just imagine the way everything's changed since then. Yeah, I was 20 at the time. I was like hanging out my room, my, my dorm room, like watching MTV on a daily basis, like not at all thinking that in 12 years I'd be talking about this and like the world has changed so much in that 12 years. Yeah, absolutely. Years. I mean, what, what, what the internet has done to education in 12 years yes. is phenomenal. And so the new technology that's out there, it, it, I mean, it seems like there's ever a moment where there's been a 12 year period where you would need more money to implement so many new things. This would be it. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that also we have this entire new generation of parents that are ready to get involved in the public school system, which is in my opinion, um, where Hamilton County has uh, has had a had a gap, um, you know, like you and I are young parents, and we're excited and charged up about our kids going into kindergarten and being a part of this really great public school, and we want to be involved. And so, right now, I feel like we have this we've got the momentum to get parents really engaged now, or I'm afraid that we're going to lose them, and then we will lose a whole generation of parents, and then our our school system will continue to suffer. Yeah, my son's enrolled in Brown, which we're actually going to come back to Brown here at the, at, at, towards the, the end of this interview because there's some exciting things happening uh, with Brown and, and Rivermont that you've been uh, instrumental in bringing about. So we're going to come back to that. But, uh, okay, so y- the school board really does want need. Let's not even say the word want anymore. <laughs> um, it's critical need. <laughs> yeah, need $25 million more million uh, in this next year's school budget. Um, can you break that down for us? I know that even last night you guys kind of broke down that ask into three different sort of tiers of, mm-hmm. of need. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so bring us, what, what, what is the most critical programming that needs funding in this extra 25 million? Yeah. Um, gosh, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to rank which one should be number one. I'll be honest. Um, but I'll just go down the list from what I have in my brain. Um, so the first category is great teachers, great leaders. And so this is really all about how do we retain and find the best teachers possible and then once we recruit those teachers, how do we get them to stay in Hamilton County and how do we help them become more effective at their jobs? So um, we are um, quite a bit behind in the state. And so, but in, in reality, where Chattanooga is, it's what, a 30 minute drive from your house to Dalton. So, you know, you could go and be a teacher in Georgia and make probably close to $10,000 more than what you make in Hamilton County. And then you could also drive to Ray County. You could drive to these, you could drive to Cleveland, Bradley County and make yeah. more money. And so we really suffer from losing uh, great teachers or, uh, you know, it's a, it's a talent suck whenever you can't pay people what they feel they need to be paid, which I, I, I fully get that, especially from coming from the business community. Um, talent is tough and it's, it's hard to find and it's hard to keep. Um, but right now in our school system, because we have one of the lowest performing school systems, talent is, it, it should be our, our top priority, right? right. And so finding teachers that are dedicated to get into the weeds of everything that's really hard in our schools right now, especially in in the lower income communities in the inner city, um, it it will require paying those teachers more and incentivizing them in a way for being there. 
But more than just um, a piece for, for raises and salaries, you know, money that we're requesting is going toward professional development. How do we help our teachers continue to grow, to continue to get that um, ever-changing um, perspective on how education's changing? Um, and then developing in, them into great leaders that will one day run our schools. So that's one section of the budget request. Um, the other is uh, really focusing on closing the gap. And so that is the part of the budget that probably, in my opinion, is the most important to me um, and the most challenging uh, because my schools in my district are would be most impacted by this funding increase that would tackle these problems. So this is all yeah, about... Yeah, what does that mean, closing the gap? Yeah, so this is all about um, providing more resources to our lower-income schools. Again, a number of my 13 schools are those schools. Again, providing like a different level of curriculum, a different level of, uh, of teacher leadership in those schools, providing them more technology. Right now, a number of our schools have the technology that they have because of the PTAs that are involved in their schools. Most of my schools don't even have PTAs. The community school model is a big piece of this budget. Uh, the community school model is, a, is a, a model that's been proven in other communities where you take your school and turn it into wraparound services on a seven-day-a-week basis. Um, so really putting money into our schools to start providing more opportunity for not only the students, but their family and their neighbors and their, their uh, family members could really start changing the cycle that we have of poverty in our community. Yeah, isn't isn't Eastside a Eastside Elementary goes by that model? It does. It and does. it's one of the it's one of the like shining stars within it, our entire system. It really is, and I wish that more people within my district would uh, or or, the, or that they knew how great East, Eastside is. We, we've got to get on that PR train. Mm-hmm. We're gonna I'm gonna have to. Or have to start doing like throwing some parties there or something, but uh, absolutely, they've been implementing this community school model for quite some time. But the thing is that it's not even where it's not even at the level of what it could be. I mean, you know, they could be doing so much more, um, but they don't have the resources. So, um, really thinking through closing those gaps, providing block grants to those schools for those principals to use to start sp- special curriculum for those students. I think a big piece of this too comes down to also our. Uh, uh, providing more opportunity and more resources for our Latino community. So we have a very large ELL population that's moving into the community. We talked a lot about starting a transition school. And that's English language learners. English language, I'm sorry, yes, English, let's see, I'm getting sucked into all this education <laughs> acronym. So, per, you know, starting a school um, that is really just meant to be a transition place for um, the new students that we have moving into our county to learn English so that they can then transition well and stay in school, into our schools. But also, uh, we have a really a very large special needs community, and I'm really embarrassed to say this, but we're not addressing those families' needs, those students' needs. And 504 and IEP plans, which is basically the term for students with some form of a disability, it could be, every, it could be everything from a learning disability to a physical disability. ADHD falls in that category. It's becoming more and more and more common, and right now we have we have practically no resources going to that. And that is something that you're going to see in every level of income, and it's a real it's a real thing that we've got to learn how to solve. And so, so the closing closing the gaps that category is a is a wide um, breadth of uh, finding ways to make sure that every student is served. Okay. And then the last category is really made up of um, a facility infrastructure, so maintenance, uh, telephone systems, upgrading our schools to being more technology friendly on the logistics side, um, busing. So uh, we're going to talk about open enrollment in a moment. Uh, but one of the problems right now that we're facing with that is that we don't have enough funding to 
actually provide transportation for open enrolled students. And if we were to, pr- if we are going to expand that program, we're going to have to provide busing because that's the equitable thing to do. Well, you know, so uh, so you, building maintenance is wrapped in this twenty five million. Uh, somewhat. Okay. So we take care of our maintenance needs out of this operating budget, but on the capital needs side, like right. such as building a new school or making massive capital improvements to the schools, that's a whole nother bucket of money. Right, because I know there was essentially two issues at stake right now. You know, you had this $25 million budget ask, but that's right. on the other hand, we have this enormous um, structural need within the school system. We have a lot of schools that are just falling apart, That's to right. Frank. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we really do. So for a long time now we've not um focused strategically on our on our maintenance and on our on our facilities um you know i think that your uh, analogy yesterday of you know we're just kind of too broke to make long-term investments that was a really good analogy and unfortunately we have done that to ourselves when it comes to the to the buildings that we own and the long-term capital improvements so if the commission were to also give us the funding that we need on the, uh, the building side, it would be about $350 million in, in additional money. That, that money could come in a different way. It could come through bonds, which are basically loans or a mortgage for each building or project that we would, um, that we would go into. Um, and then that's paid off over time, typically 15 to 20 years. Or the, ans- the other answer is that there could be a tax increase that takes place that covers uh, the maintenance and facility needs as well as the operational needs. So obviously that would be a larger tax increase, but I mean, really what we're talking about here is probably about a hundred dollars a year additional for each property owner, uh, okay. based on their home value. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, yeah, so we were talking about this yesterday and the, the budget has been so bare bones for so long that so many of these structural needs, maintenance needs over time have just been left unsolved mm-hmm. yeah they get kicked down the kicked down the road yeah because mm-hmm. that's the easiest thing to kick down the curb because you i mean you can't like we're, we're running on such a tight budget when it comes to our teachers you know we already just talked about the salaries and how low those are those can't get cut anymore no they really um, can't <laughs> and then just the the services that we legally have to provide so many of our children that the only thing we really can kick down the road is is building right. maintenance um, because and that's I'm, a scary prospect it is because you know at the end of the day like shouldn't that be mandated because i know i don't want my child going into a building that's you know covered say in mold i'm not saying that any of our buildings are but you know the point is that when it comes to also just kind of the like overarching like legislation that we have to deal with as a school board you know we've got the state putting in their legislation in place that we don't necessarily get a say in and then we have the commission that decides on the funding piece uh, i feel like the priorities sometimes get a little lost because um, sometimes our most important pieces just seem to everyone else it's not involved the way that we are that they can just continue to kick it down the road uh, really for us it's not yeah. it's sometimes it's us doing it but sometimes it's not so. right right yeah and so one of my one of my best memories of uh, well not, not best but one of the ones the most vivid for me was when I was in fifth grade I was on the second floor of our school and the AC unit went out <laughs> and so that we went at three months with no AC unit and so I, I remember that as, as a as a fifth grader uh, sweating through math class literally not because it was hard. Uh, but because it was 85, 90 degrees in our room the whole time. And was that here in Hamilton County? No, okay, no, no. This okay, is, this okay. Is back where I grew up. But still, but right, and you know, unfortunately, we 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 have situations like that on our hands right now. So. Well, okay, so you know, you guys just had the the meeting last night. Uh, give give me give us an update as far as when is the this going to be put before the county commission? What's the process from this point out? Uh, when will you guys know if you, if you get this increase or not? So May 9th is when our budget uh, request will be put before the commission. 
I don't believe that we will know if we get the money until June, because I believe that is whenever the mayor puts together his entire budget and puts it before the commission for a vote. So sometime in June. So really, I mean, you're looking at probably the next 45 days from now. Okay. And so so is the school board budget attached to the mayor's request? It or is. Or they just got to look at everything together? They look at everything. Okay. They look at everything together. So, I mean, in reality, what happens is we build a budget. We pass it, which is really more of a formality on our board to make sure that we're all in sync with where the money is is going or should be going. And then from there, it's in the mayor's hands. He uh, decides like what he wants to slide into his budget for education. So in reality, I mean, the mayor, uh, you know, has to be an advocate with us for this increase in money. A number of us have had conversations with the mayor, and he knows that education is a top priority. He knows that Hamilton County will have a hard time moving forward if we don't Uh, do something. And so uh, my hope is that he is going to be very thoughtful in what he puts in that line item and that he'll be able to get five votes from the commission. That's right. So, you know, hopefully everybody listening to this, you're going to have time before when this comes out before April 9th to be able to call, you know, your county commissioner to be able to call the mayor's office and, 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 advocate for these requests. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know on Unified Ed's website, I'll put a link into this in the show notes. Uh, you can actually go on there, put in where you live, all your information, and it'll tell you who your county commissioner is uh, to make that process really easy. Because I have a feeling a lot of my listeners may not know who their county commissioner is uh, or anything like that. So that tool will really help you out uh, and, and allow you to really advocate for our children in Hamilton County. Well, I know another thing you're really excited about, you know, moving on from the budget, something else that's recently passed is uh, you are kind of pushing forward for this idea of open enrollment Mm -hmm. and you're piloting it at two schools, uh, Brown and Rivermont. So tell us about open enrollment. Sure. So open enrollment um, is not a foreign concept. There's a number of other communities throughout the country that that have open enrollment for their school systems. In fact, Metro Nashville does, and I believe Knoxville does as well. So what this means is that um, you can technically go to school, to any, you can send your child to any school that you would like them to go to, assuming that there is room there. So right now, our current system is built around zones. So uh, I live in a zone that is uh, uh, zoned for Hillcrest Elementary. And um, in order for me as a parent to get my child into any other school other than Hillcrest, I would have to do a couple things. I could either one, go through the lottery process for some of our magnet schools, which we know that our magnet schools are doing really well, but the problem is that they only have so many spots every year. So that causes a lot of, uh, a lot of problems, a lot of, of, a lot of heartache for the parents that wanna be a part of those schools. The other way that I could get my child into another school is by going through a hardship. And the hardship process was actually created through No Child Left Behind um, a number of years ago and has actually been um, pulled back quite a bit. So this past year, um, we actually lost the ability to send children to, uh, to, to, to schools that their parents desired that, for them to go through, through No Child Left Behind um, because, uh, or through hardships because No Child Left Behind basically expired. So now you're really left with, all right, well, how do I get my child into another school? Well, basically the other ways that you could do are just completely non-transparent. So as a, as a young parent, I mean, I'm watching, you know, a number of my friends, and I mean, and I've gone through this too, you know, desire to have my child at a school that, is, that I'm not necessarily zoned for. We've also seen, you know, I, I've also noticed like issues with zoning. Um, you know, the normal park area has exploded in real estate to the point of where they really only have a very small um, number of spots available for their magnet status, which is a problem in and of itself. And so it's becoming very hard to even become zoned for certain desired schools. So about two months ago, um, we were in a board meeting and uh, I, I brought up the idea of open enrollment. 
And of course, you know, people's eyes got big, like, oh my gosh, why would you say this? And I think it's because whenever you say open enrollment, people are like very, very scared of it because honestly, they don't know what it would look like. So um, the, sc- the school system staff actually started thinking through this idea and we started thinking through, well, how could we start to pilot the concept of if there are open seats at a school and if a parent wants to send their child there, they can automatically go there by just simply walking in the school and saying, I desire for my child to go here, put me on, put, sign me up. So we decided to take two of our schools that have the lowest, have the highest capacity um, and are frankly kind of these underdogs that are, have just become really amazing schools and people don't really know about them. So we really have, we are, we're seeing it as an opportunity to start filling seats because we have a number of schools that have um, a high capacity number, but also a way to get the word out and a great PR move for getting um, the word out about these really great high-performing schools. So Rivermont Elementary was the first one that came to mind. It's really built this great community support around it. There's a large number of younger parents that are really getting involved in the school. At one point, the school was on the verge of being closed. And so it's really had this massive turnaround. And I think what's really interesting about the school is that it's built a specialized curriculum. Um, So it's a K through five school and they have a STEAM program. So that's science, technology, engineering, arts, and math throughout the entire school. So all day long, the kids' curriculum, like all of their lessons are built around STEM or STEAM STEAM programming. Which is related to STEM, so. Yeah, I know, it's it's art added in. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, really, really great stuff. And because of that specialized curriculum, Students are more engaged, they're seeing massive gains uh, grade-wise and uh, testing-wise, but the school is very diverse too, which again is starting to, which is what makes the school very desirable. Brown has gone through a similar tra- uh, transition. Um, again, it was on the verge of being closed um, a few years ago. It uh, had some performance issues. A new principal came in um, with really great leadership skills and has really turned the school around. They have a really, awesome specialized curriculum focusing on art and I believe visual arts and so theater and music and uh, just you know this this curriculum that makes kids want to go to school and helps them learn and use both sides of their brain which I think is something that we've been missing for quite a while in our school system and so it's this out-of-the-box curriculum that's making these schools um, desirable and so starting May 1 which is Monday if you have a, a child that's a rising kindergartner or first grader you can go straight into these schools and you can say, I want my child to attend here. Doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter uh, what school you're zoned for, um, you can automatically get a spot. There are about 250 spots available between the two schools. Okay. And so there's quite, quite a bit. And so we're basically piloting, piloting this concept on these two schools and hopefully it will go very well. I have, I have very, I'm very confident that it will. And then from there next year, we'll expand it. So then not just Rivermont and Brown will be um, open enrollment. We'll have maybe three to five more schools, and then the next year we'll add more, and then following and following. Yeah, so this is really exciting. And just to, you know, again, harp on Brown and Rivermont, uh, you know, again, unifieded.org, I'll put these links into our show notes. They have stats on these schools, and it it really is unbelievable. Like, so that, you know, Brown, math proficiency literally doubled between 2014 and 2015, or I'm sorry. 2014 and 2015, yep. and then in reading scores as well had double-digit gains. Yeah, and uh, you, phenomenal. And you won't see 2015 to 2016 scores because we didn't have testing last year okay. because of the state fluke. But um, which I, I'm 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 not really protesting, so I'm kind of okay with it. But anyway, so I'm excited to see. But I am excited to see what their testing scores are this year um, because I bet I mean I'm putting money on that they're going to have these really great gains. Um, and we have so many people moving in from out of town to come and live in Chattanooga. And one of the first things that I get asked is, well, what school would you recommend that I send my child to? Now I can finally say, 
it doesn't matter where you live because you can send your children to a great school and your real estate doesn't dictate that. And I think that right. that is really start, what, what starts to close the economic gaps in our community. Yeah, I was about to say, like even thinking through this as you're saying it, what that's going to do to real estate as far as freeing up the market a little bit. Um, and yeah, the, it, it's... You know, it's not going to drive up home values in one particular area. Now, hopefully that'll spread throughout our community and be better for everyone. That's definitely how I see it. And again, what's most important is that every child has access to a great education. Well, speaking about access to a great education, I know the other thing last night that happened was the school board approved Chattanooga Prep School to open right alongside CGLA. Um, so tell us a little bit, you know, I've actually done a podcast with Ted and we oh, talked good. a little bit about Chattanooga <laughs> Prep, but what is, uh, tell, tell me about the school board's, you know, feeling toward uh, Chattanooga Prep opening in Highland Park. So it's nothing but positive feelings, which was so exciting to see. We don't normally all get on the same page about one thing. So that was great. Um, so Chattanooga Prep, as you probably know, if you've already listened to the segment before, it's a, it's going to be a 6th through 12th grade school. It's starting with 6th grade this fall. And they'll have 60 spots for boys, um, specifically coming mostly probably from my district. I think ultimately it's it's meant for, for all boys, but they're really gearing toward uh, lower income. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's a charter school, and CGLA is the is the complimentary girls school that has been up and running now for about five or six years, and is making just tremendous gains when it comes to student achievement. I mean, I've just met some really phenomenal young ladies from that school, and so I'm excited to see what happens with um, the energy that Ted and Kelly are going to be putting into the school, that Elaine Swafford will be putting into the school, and I'm sure you know the leadership team at that school is just going to be phenomenal. So I really think that the school is going to be a transformative opportunity for for my district, for the county as a whole, um, and the school board, every single one of us saw the exact same opportunity. So it, it was it was a unanimous vote. So that's good. Yeah. And if you're confused, like I've never heard anything about Chattanooga Prep on the podcast. That was actually the the title of that episode was the Lamp Post Group with Ted Alling. And towards the end of that conversation, uh, we spent a good amount of time talking about his vision for Chattanooga Prep. So if you want to learn more about, you know, directly from from Ted, who's, who's investing and pushing forward for this school, uh, please go back and listen to that to that episode. And so, you know, Chattanooga Prep will come online in the fall of 2018, correct? Uh, I believe they're actually pushing for this fall. This fall? I, okay. I, I thought it was 2018 initially as well, but last night we were we discussed 2017. So yeah. that... I, well, I'll check that out after yeah. the interview, and I'll put it in the at the end. Uh, but either way, so this is going to open with uh, 66th graders, That's correct? right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're going to be really focused on, uh, like, leadership programming for the boys. Um, I think, you know, really thinking through how do boys learn differently. I have boys they do learn differently. Yeah. They, they, they need different things. And I think that middle school is by far the part in our education system. And this is like holistically nationwide that we've not thought through. Well, I, I can't, I don't know a single person that thinks back to middle school and says, gosh, what a great experience that was. And so I'm interested to see like how they do things differently, especially around uh, curriculum geared toward boys, because um, I want that for my kids. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this offline. I, I did teach in public schools for three years, and it was in a K-8 to setting, which I'm a massive fan of because it keeps those middle schoolers, when they're going through this massive amount of transition, in that same sort of nurturing environment. They see their same teachers they used to have. That's good. You know, and it, so it's just a much more nurturing thing to, to be able to go through that period of your life mm-hmm. uh, recognizing and not being thrown into an entirely new place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gosh, I, you couldn't pay me to go back to middle school. No, so. I don't think anybody. <laughs> I don't think anybody would want to go back to middle school. Nope. All right, Tiffany. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
Well, thank you so much to school board member Tiffany Robinson for sitting down with us in the podcast and explaining this new budget request, which will be going before the Hamilton County Commission in the days ahead. Like we mentioned in the interview, if you want to help advocate for this funding, then please contact your county commissioner and ask them to support the increase in funding. If you don't know who your commissioner is, then you can find out on the Unified Ed website. That's unifi-ed.org. And while you are there, you can check out some more of the details of this proposed budget, as well as learn more about each of the individual schools throughout our county. Unified Ed has done a great job, not only of following the current budget process, but also getting to know each and every one of the schools in our district. Well, thank you to our studio sponsor, The Lamp Post Group, for giving us use of their studio to record this episode. Recently, Lamp Post Group Properties opened up the Tomorrow Building on Patton Parkway, and you can check them out at tomorrowbuilding.com. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and are more informed about what is happening with our school system. Please take a moment and share this episode with a friend. And you can always do that at thecamphouse.com slash podcast. Thank you all for being here. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you again next week.